following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! The following program is a Forbes and Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Denise Ristari, and this is Mentoring Moments, a podcast where smart, witty, and bold women are sharing their triumphs and their skids. We aren't just talking, we're taking action, and we're inviting you to join us every Wednesday in my New York City apartment, where we are proudly sponsored by the Business Platinum Card from American Express. Okay, so if you've ever hit rock bottom and you wondered if you'd make it back up or if you think you can't pick joy over pain, today's podcast is for you because joining me today is Glennon Doyle. Glennon is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Love Warrior. It's a book about regaining trust in marriage, but really, if you ask me, it's about a woman learning to trust herself. And I'm not the only person who loves this book. It's a 2016 Oprah's Book Club selection. And good news, the paperback edition was just released. Glennon is also the founder of Together Rising, a nonprofit organization that has rallied over $7 million for women and families in crisis. And she's the founder of Momastery. It's an online community of millions. And, 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 she's the co-creator of Together Live, a tour of amazing women who are talking truth and taking action. And she lives in Florida with her wife, Abby Wambach, and three children. So, Glennon, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. I am so excited. Me too. I mean, I could tell the first minute that you started talking that you were part of my tribe. I'm so glad to be here. We definitely are. We know so many of the same women. And for everyone who's listened to the podcast, Jamia Wilson, Latham Thomas, who have both been on the show, Marie Forleo, we, have, we, have, we are part of the same tribe. So I'm so thrilled to be connecting with you. So I'm going to kick off because I want to get into all of our stories with my mentoring moment. And I went to my breathing coach, Joan Witkowski, who I just adore. And I told this story, but I'll tell it briefly, Glennon, that so Agape Stasinopoulos, do you know Agape? No. Have you met Agape? Okay, so Agape has a book she does, she writes and she teaches meditation. She's Ariana Huffington's sister. Oh my gosh, forget it. I yeah. cannot get it. Okay, <laughs> yeah. okay, tell me okay. more. So I'll have to introduce you because you'll love each other. So she, we do the podcast and after the podcast, and she sounds just like Ariana, right? She says to me, darling, you don't breathe. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And so she's like, you've got to go to my breathing coach. And after I resist and she's texting me and calling me, I'm like, oh, for God's sakes, I'll go to the breathing coach. I don't even know what a breathing coach does, okay? I mean, I think we're going to learn how to inhale and exhale. I have no clue what a breathing coach does, but I do it because Agape wants me to do it. And I'm like, okay, you know, she's going to keep bugging me if I don't do this. So I'll do it. And I, I am so hooked because it's changing Joan working with Joan is just changing my life. Um, and I'll, we can get into that, but I'll tell this part of the story and I think that'll help make sense. So I go to Joan and I have this list of things I wrote earlier in the day. And I said, you know, I've come to these realizations that one, I don't want to propel my life with fear or anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to propel my life with an old definition of success or someone else's definition of success. And I don't want to be propelled by my history. And she's nodding at me. And then the last one, though, the last thing I'm about to say, that became the showstopper of the day. I said, and you know, I don't want to be propelled by what other people tell me I'm good at. Mm. And she looks at me and she says, that's the one that's mm. like crack for you. And mm. that was the last on my list, right? I didn't even realize the significance. And when I thought about it, I thought, you know, it looks something like this. If I draw a picture 
and someone who I think is smarter or more talented or more creative than me looks at it and says, you know, you're really good at that. You should draw more. You know, maybe you should sell them. And I think, well, that's great. You know, that's what a great compliment. I didn't even think I was that good. But I don't think I'm good because reality is I didn't enjoy doing what I, I didn't enjoy drawing. I don't like to draw, so I didn't enjoy it. But I forget about that, and I'm taken over by the, you're so good at that, you should do something with that. And I don't listen to me and say, that's great that that person thinks that, but it doesn't bring me joy. Yeah, so that, that rings so true to me. It doesn't, in what way? I mean, I think that one of the things I've learned the most in the last few years is to trust myself, you know, that like, women are taught from very early on that we aren't supposed to look inward for what we love to do and for wisdom and for for all of it. We're supposed to look outward, right? So that idea of drawing for someone and, oh, if you like it, then that must be what I'm supposed to do. You know, we look to our, we look everywhere outside of ourselves. We look to our churches, we look to magazines, we look to experts, we look to the television, we look to friends, we look to family. Um, I think men do that less. I think that, you know, oh, Denise, I have a 14-year-old son, and he will have friends over all the time. And I will walk into a room full of teenagers and say, hey, is anybody hungry? And the boys will all yell, yes. And the girls will say nothing and look at each other. Right? That is so telling, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, they actually are already, at the age of 14, Enable, unable to connect with that voice inside of themselves that says what they want, right? So the basic question, are you hungry? They first check with each other, right? Because women are wisdom crowdsourcers, right? We have to canvas each other before we can speak our true voice and look inward. So um, it is one of the greatest lessons of the last decade of my life, which is, you know, really comes down to women can be trusted, you can look inward instead of outward for who you are and what you want and what you're made to do. But how do we do that? I, I'm, you know, I'm really learning and I'm 63 and I'm, I'm still learning that trying to figure out which voice to listen to. When do you know what voice to listen to? Yeah, that's interesting. So these teenagers at my house a, a couple of weeks ago, I couldn't take it anymore with these girls, not, not being able to tell me what they wanted and what they... So I brought them all out to the other room I brought them out of the room, sat them down on my family room couch and said, all right, girls, all you say to me is, I don't know. I don't care. I'm fine. That's it. That's over. And this house is going to be a safe place for you to have an opinion. Okay. And I know sometimes you don't know what you want anymore. So this is what we're going to do. Here's a coin. And I held up a quarter. If this quarter lands on heads, we're having pizza. If this quarter lands on tails, we're having chicken nuggets. I want you to call it in the air. What do you want it to be? And I flipped the coin and they all either yelled out, uh, pizza or, or I'm sorry, heads or tails. And I thought, oh my gosh, you guys, there's your voice. You do know what you want. You just have to trick it into yelling every once in a while, right? So I did that with a friend recently. She came over and she was deciding to go back to school. Her kids were going to college. She was deciding to go back to school. And her husband and her family wanted her to go to nursing school. And she really wanted to be a yoga instructor, right? And I knew it. She'd been talking about it forever. So she was like, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what I want. So I got out a quarter. And I said, okay, I want you to pretend that when this lands, you have to do what it says. Heads, nursing school. Tails, yoga school. Call it in the air. She goes, yoga. <laughs> and I was like, there it is. There's your I mom. love this. Yeah, it's just that sometimes I just have to carry a lot of quarters with me now. Just carry forward. some quarters <laughs> and trick your damn self. Right. You trick your damn self into into um, panicking. Right. You panic, and then the voice comes up. And after a while, I mean, Denise, this is what I had to do. This is what I the way that I made it through my divorce. It's I mean, I, I went through a very public um, kind of a very public personal betrayal, right? So um, I had a very a public family and we fell apart in front of everybody. And when we fell apart, everybody had an opinion about what I should do. You know, I mean, my church thought one thing and my, my readers thought another thing and my family thought another thing and my friends thought another thing. And I finally realized, oh my God, 
I'm a people pleaser, but this is, this has, my life has finally gotten to a point where I literally cannot please everybody because everybody wants me to do something different. So the beauty of that was that it forced me to spend 10 minutes a day in complete silence and cut out all the voices from the outside. And what I learned to do during that time was to go inward. And I am telling you, I know now that every time a woman says she doesn't know what to do next, she's lying. She does know what to do next. She just doesn't want to do the thing because it's too scary. Right? So she oh, calls all sure. her friends. So she calls all her friends and says, what do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and and then we get all this input in our minds. But you know what I think that also does, Glennon? It keeps us from, we stay so busy that we don't dig deep, right? So it's kind of, I've got to pick the kids up. I've got to do this. I got to, I don't have time. I've got to eat. I've got to cook. I got to whatever, right? And we don't, we don't take that 10 minutes to start to look at ourselves. It's so much easier to stay busy. Yeah, because the scariest place is the quiet, right? Oh, because- for sure. The scariest place in the world is the quiet because that's where the truth is. And and we most of us want to avoid the truth because we know that once we face it head on, we'll have we'll probably have to make some changes. <laughs> yes. And, and, and so I want to talk about all this with you, but I want to get into your mentoring moment as well. So I, yes, yes, yes. Let's, let's, yeah. let's do that because I want to I think that'll probably I don't know what it is, but we'll see what it takes us to. Well, I mean, you know, I was thinking about this. I was reading all about you and your amazing podcast and thinking about the mentors in my life. And I have a, a professional one and a personal one for you. So my my professional mentors are actually the exact same as my personal mentors. I have this crew that I would call kind of, I, we call each other the wolf pack, okay? Um, these are women who kind of have similar jobs to me, I guess. And they are further down the line than I am. They've been doing what I do for longer than I have. Then And so I had this very unique situation where about a year ago, I was about to launch a book that was being widely touted as a marriage redemption book. Okay. It was Love Warrior and it was about to come out and it was going to be a big deal. Right. I mean, Oprah picked it for her book club. It was all over the place. My people were counting on it being a number one bestseller, all of it. Challenge, Denise was that I was separating from my husband, okay? So as I'm about to go on tour with this marriage redemption book, I'm, I know in my heart that I'm getting divorced and I need to separate from my husband. This everyone on earth that had anything to do with my business, except for my sister, told me was going to be a disaster, okay? That, that people were going to rely on this as a marriage redemption book and knowing that my marriage was failing in the midst of it was just going to, you know, ruin this book's chance at success. So I was in a bit of a bind because I am two things at once, right? I am an artist and an artist, my, what I feel is, is the most important thing about being an artist is being honest, right? That's really all we have to do. We don't have to be shiny. We don't have to be perfect. Our job is to look at life and the world and just tell the truth about what we see. I'm also a businesswoman, right? So for me, I had to both consider what's true as an artist, but what sells as a business person, (laughs) which seemed at the time to be contradictory. So I um, got really quiet and then I called a few mentors. One um, was Liz Gilbert, who's one of my best friends. I remember she said a lot of things to me. One of the things she said to me was, um, every truth that you tell is a kindness to your people, even if it makes them uncomfortable. And every secret that you keep is an unkindness to your people, even if it makes them comfortable. And I thought, wow, that's something. Um, I talked to Oprah, um, who had much invested in this book and very well could have told me, you just stay quiet. She said to me, Glennon, the truth is what will always be standing at the end. So you might as well just start with it. And what I ended up doing was coming out with the news about my separation and divorce just weeks before the release of the book and just thought maybe there's an and both here. Maybe I can do what's right. Maybe what's true and what sells don't have to be opposites, don't have to be mutually exclusive. 
um, maybe my people, maybe I can trust them enough that they know that life is complicated and gray and they know that every single book has to end and life goes on, right? Because the story that I had written, um, the last word was written through two years before I went on the road with it. And of course, the story goes that every, the whole world handled it utterly beautifully and the book did better than I ever thought it could be could do. And I went on the road and had amazing conversations, real conversations with women about marriage and how it's not all a fairy tale and how sometimes our happily ever afters look a lot different than we thought they would um, in starting over. And it just was a much more real, beautiful experience being on the road with that book than it ever would have been had I hidden where I was at the moment. It allowed me to go out and be really vulnerable and honest with my people, which is my only job as an artist. Um, so that was my professional mentor moment. And then the, the personal one is super quick. And it was with Liz again. So I was having, when my kids went through the divorce, it was the scariest thing I've ever done. You know, I just always thought that I come from a family whose parents are still married. I just thought this is going to screw them up forever. This is like the one thing that I promised I wouldn't do to my kids. Um, and so one day I called Liz to ask for some parenting advice She's not a parent, but I only ask people who don't have kids for parenting advice because I feel like they're the only ones who are sane enough to like have any real wisdom anymore. So, <laughs> but I think too, because some of us will give advice based on our own guilt, right? Exactly. Like we want you not to do what we did or we want to make up for it, whatever it is. I mean, there's so yeah. many things I think. In there. Yeah. Or, or we want to justify our own decisions. Exactly. So we just say the thing like, you know, divorced families are always saying, oh, it's great. They're fine. And parents who right. stay together, even though they shouldn't, are like, do it this because it's for the kid. Right. Exactly. So Liz said to me, look, Glennon, you and your family are on an airplane right now. OK. And turbulence has hit. OK. The plane is shaking. And your kids have never been on a flight before. And they're scared to death. And you are the flight attendant, Glennon. Now, what do we do when turbulence hits and we want to know if we're safe? We look at the flight attendant's faces. And if the flight attendants look scared, we lose it. But if the flight attendants look fine, we're fine. She said, Glennon, you're the flight attendant and your kids are going to look at your face to see if they're safe or not. And your job throughout this time, throughout this next year, Glennon, you just keep serving the freaking peanuts. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God. And Denise, every day, Abby and I, Emmy and Craig, look at each other, we're like, just keep serving the freaking peanuts, right? And for whatever reason, through all the turbulence, since we all knew we were making the right decisions for ourselves and our family because they were true, because they were the true decisions, we just were able to stay steady. And so the kids have had a hard time, but they just never thought the plane was going down. Right. So, um, so that's it. My, one of my, when I think about it, professional and personal have both been from my girl, Liz Gilbert. Well, I was going to say, first of all, you've got like the best group of female friends and mentors to have in, in anyone's life. I mean, you've got I some great lucky. resources there. I agree. And, and, and what they're saying is so true. And I, you know, I think back to when I was getting divorced and my therapist saying similar, but not as, not as, um, as great a story as Liz's, but the same thought of if you fall apart, everything will fall apart. You know, you've got to be able to be strong and as you're saying, serve the peanuts, um, to be able to carry it through. And I remember in your book, you talked about there were days when that didn't happen. Well, that's we're, the thing too. We're allowed to fall apart. My God. I mean, we're just human. Um, and I cried in front of my kids. I mean, all of that. All I know is there's, there's this, there's something inside of you that when you know you're doing the right thing for yourself, right? As a woman and what is true and good. For some reason, we have this idea as women that when we choose what is right for us, it will be wrong for our family. But that can never be true. But when we, true what, when we choose what is right and healthy and freeing and true for ourselves, it is inevitably what is right for our children because they are watching us not to see how to be perfect, but to see how to be human and honest, right? So, um, yeah, there was just something in me that knew that even though the road we were choosing was a hard one, that it was the right kind of hard. You know, I that, agree. Yeah. So when since I, I getting... knew that, I knew it was right for the kids too, and that we'd make it through. 
Yeah, and, and there's no good answer in all of this, right? I remember when I was getting divorced, there just isn't a good answer. You just have to do the one that's true because yeah. both sides have have their downfalls. That fairy tale life is never going to happen. It'll never happen anyway. But the one that you dreamed of is not going to be that dream any longer. You're not going to be that happy family together. And but if you stay together, you're not going to be the happy family together, right? So for yeah. everyone who goes through this process, it's there is no, you don't think there is a win, but there is. Mm-hmm. Eventual. There's an eventual win, right? I mean, yes. Denise, that's why I had to get away. When you said there's no good, there's no good choice. It's like I had to get away from the idea of right and wrong. Like for me, and I remember this, oh my God, this is Liz too. So we used to t- say to each other, you know, the Steinbeck, qu- the Steinbeck quote, now that I'm done being perfect, I can be good. Yes. I used to love that so much. And then I, um, Kristen Bell, Rob Bell's wife, said to Liz one day, you know what? I'm so tired of being good. I don't want to be good anymore. I just want to be free. And Liz said to me, so what if now that we're done being good, we can be free? And so I thought a lot about what that means to me. And I think what it means is I think for me, freedom, you know, because I tried to be a good girl for so long, right? I mean, the first half of my life, I was an addict. I was just a bad girl um, and did everything I could do to break every rule on earth, which is just a cage also. I mean, reacting to 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 the rules negatively is the same kind of cage, just the opposite as trying to follow all the rules and being a good girl, right? So then when I got pregnant and started having a family, I just tried to be good. You know, I tried to be perfect. I tried to be a good wife. I tried to be a good mom. I tried to be a good activist, all the things. Now my marriage thought fall apart. I thought, oh, this is so funny. Like being bad doesn't work, but being good doesn't work either. <laughs> right? Railing against all the rules makes me exhausted. Trying to follow all the rules doesn't work and makes me exhausted. So wouldn't it be beautiful and I think this happens to so many women in their 40s, to just say, forget all the rules and just go inside and say, who do I want to be? What is the truest, best version of myself? Um, I'm just going to do that, you know? And so that's freedom to me, I guess. It's like, instead of trying to follow the rules or break all the rules, just just like deciding what is the most beautiful life? What's the most beautiful family? What's the most beautiful community? What's the most beautiful world that I can imagine my own damn self? And just work on creating those things. And did you find that hard to make that jump from following the rules to be able to say, okay, what I'm going to be true to me. I'm going to be free. Well, I don't know. I mean, I can give you, yes, of course. It's, it's unbelievably hard. I mean, whenever a woman bucks against any system, there will be hell to pay. Right. I mean, it's, it's just, it's the, 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 the voices of opposition and are brutal and vicious and personal. Um, as you know, being a woman who uses her voice in the world, especially when you're speaking any sort of resistance message or anti-establishment message is, is um, the consequences are swift. I mean, I mean, I can tell you they're also, but, but the results of it, I've never talked about this before, but I was thinking about this last night. Um, so about a decade ago, I, I was in church um, and I was kind of new. I grew up Catholic, but we didn't really go to church that often. It was just kind of more of an idea. <clears throat> and then when I had a baby, I started going back to this church. I liked it. You know, I liked the feeling of it. Um, there was something I felt like was true and good for me there. But I was sitting in a service and the pastor started talking and he said something about gay people that I thought, what the hell is this? Like, it was just so weird and and just didn't at all mesh with the way I felt about God and, you know, what I understood of, of this idea of love or God, which is just that we're all included and equal and um, beloved. And it just didn't sit with me right. You know, I just thought, oh, my God. And I, and I talked to a couple people, a couple of women that I went to church with there about it, like because it was bugging me so much. And she, they said, oh, yeah, you know, we don't believe that. We believe everyone's equal. But, you know, we just we just let that go. And I thought, well, that's weird. And, and anyway, it became this thing I couldn't let go, right? Because here I was going to this place, bringing my children there. Um, and I felt like my presence there was made, making me complicit in this message of, of, of kind of bigotry and, and divisiveness. So I went to talk to the ministers about it. And they quoted scripture at me. And anyway, it became this year-long struggle where I thought, I cannot be a part of this institution that is creating pain for um, other 
for other children, for for other kids. And and um and I remember just talking about it nonstop. And I remember people saying to me like, "Who is it in your family that's gay? That's making you um feel this strongly about this?" And I just thought, nobody, but everybody, right? Aren't aren't we all family? Shouldn't we be? If anyone's being excluded from a group, especially when it's a faith group, shouldn't we be fighting for them like they are our children? Isn't the idea of faith that there's no such thing as other people's children? Anyway, after a lot of drama and a hard time and, you know, people who were furious with me and our family for starting a stink about this, we left the church. I wasn't a part of a church for another eight years until I found one that was utterly committed to, to, to making space and room for every kind of person um, and has no divisiveness in it and is, is fiercely inclusive. But listen, the crazy thing is that here I am 10 years later and I'm 41 years old and a year ago I fell madly in love with a woman, right? So I had, and I, you know, my children had, they went through a divorce and then they went through welcoming a woman into our family. And there was the, the trauma there of going through a divorce and a changing family, but there was no trauma with their mother falling in love with a woman. Because I didn't, I because I listened to the call a decade ago that I needed to get my ass out of that church. So my children weren't raised with any of that, right? My children learned from me a decade before they needed to know it themselves that love is love is love is love is love, and we don't listen, we don't allow our butts to be in any pews um, where anybody says anything different. So my kids didn't have to, um, and I and unlearn all of that. And I just feel so grateful that even though it was hard. Um, and weird and scary that I kind of stood up, um, for the kind of institution that I would eventually need for my own self and my own family. Does that and make you sense? were, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And you were married at that time or you, you oh, were yeah. married oh, at that yeah. time, right? You were oh, married yeah. to Craig at that time. For right. So what the hell? I didn't know anything. Right. Okay, and, right. Before we continue the conversation with Glennon, let me give a shout out to the business platinum card from American Express. It's the card I used when I launched my business. And that's because business can be done from anywhere, in the palm of your hand and at the source. However you move your business forward with business platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum Card, backed by the service and security of American Express. At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing. And a less than perfect one. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. Hi, I'm Tavis Smiley. You may know me from my PBS talk show. I'm excited to tell you that I have a brand new podcast that you can hear on podcastone.com. I'll discuss the latest in politics, sports, music, and much more with big thinkers, artists, and celebrities. I'll also share my own opinions and answer some of your questions. So join the conversation on the Tavis Smiley podcast coming to podcastone.com, the Podcast One app, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. This is Mentoring Moments with Denise Rostari. So I want to take our listeners through a little bit of your journey. So you grew, you were eight or 10, you became, you were, you were an addict, right? So you can take us through a little journey and then your marriage and then now you're married to Abby. Yeah. So I was, I became bulimic when I was 10 years old, which is, is young, but for people who know a lot about the eating disorder world is actually not that young. There's lots of little girls who fall into eating disorders around that age, it's tragic and also completely predictable, you know, based on the kind of culture we live in that tells little girls that their worth is in their body and that the smaller their body is, the, the more it's worth. Um, so I fell into that really young. And then um, because I never got to the root of it, the bulimia turned into alcoholism. And then I was an addict until I was 25 and I found out I was pregnant. Um, and then I married Craig and had three more babies and became a writer and an activist. And then 12 years into marriage, um, found out that Craig had been unfaithful to me throughout our entire marriage. Um, uh, and just the love warrior is the kind of the memoir that goes through that time 
finding that out and um, the journey that I had to go on of the, the of that pain, but also kind of going backwards and trying to say, wait, what the hell happened here? You know, what? How, how did I end up here? And how do I change things going forward? So, um, and Craig and I went through hell together. I mean, we did. And I thought that, and you know, we, we went through all kinds of therapy and we tried so hard for very long for years. Um, and I'm so grateful we did because we ended up, I thought we were going through all of it so that we could have our happily ever after. Um, but I think the reason why we went through all of that together is so that we could say goodbye to each other um, with love, you know, and we did, we did, we ended up divorcing, um, a couple of years ago, so bad with years, it might've been a year ago. Um, and I don't know, I think because we'd been through it so much, we just were able to say goodbye with, um, a lot of peace and grace and we kind of co-parent our kids together. I married Abby, um, last year. So Abby and I and Craig really co-parent together. He lives a mile from us and um, kind of beautiful, actually. Um, hard and beautiful. I remember on Facebook that you wrote that when you fell in love with Abby, you were scared that you were scared that you might miss out on this chance of happiness. And it was so painful, that thought of missing out on it. And then you talked to your dear friend, Martha Beck. Mm-hmm. And she gave you some advice that I think is just so spot on. Will you share that advice? Yeah, well, she told me a couple things, and I haven't written about one of them. But the first one she said is, I said to her, I'm going to, I told her the story. And then I and by the way, she's one of Liz's mentors. So That's great. Okay, so, I want to hang out with you guys. When you come to New York, call yeah, me. Yeah, so basically Liz was like, dude, this is a doozy. So I'm going to have to pass you on to Martha for this one. <laughs> So, more than I can handle. <laughs> she's like sister for the love of God. Um, so, so Martha, who's just, I mean, God, she's just some kind of spiritual genius. I don't know. Um, she said to me, I said, listen, I am in love. And, and by the way, Denise, I didn't even know what the hell in love was ever before I met Abby. So love warrior is a very much also just this woman trying to understand what is everyone talking about? Right. What do they mean? What does this in love thing mean? And that's actually in the book, that, that sentence many times. Yes, and you question if it was a place, right? Is in yeah, love a place? What, is it? what are they talking about? Yeah. So when I met Abby, I was like, oh, <laughs> I get it. I finally get it. Um, and but I did not believe I, I did not believe that I could honor this love for myself and also honor my children. I truly believed that it was either or, that choosing my own joy would be choosing pain for my children. Um, and at that point, I was just brokenhearted because I knew that I'd choose my children. If, if it were true that I had to choose myself or my children, that I would choose my children. Um, and so, so I talked to Martha. One thing that I think it was she that said is she said, don't forget what Carl Jung said, that nothing affects a child more than the unlived life of a parent. That rings true to me. And then she said, I said, well, you know what? I don't know. I just, I think that choosing my own joy will choose pain. We'll be choosing pain for the kids. And she said, well, Glennon. Oh, and I said, and that's okay because we learn from pain, right? Because a lot of love warriors about learning from our own pain. And I do believe that we learn a hell of a lot from pain. I mean, I'm somebody who being a recovering addict and going through what I've gone through, I can say for certain that all of the wisdom that I have comes from the pain that I've been through during the last 20 years. Martha said, yes, that is true. Glennon, you have learned so much from pain. And God can continue to teach you through pain if that is what you continue to choose. And then she said, but God, but Glennon, God would rather would rather teach you through joy. God can teach you through joy just um, as effectively as God can teach you through pain. It's just that you keep passing over joy to choose pain because you think you have yourself convinced that your joy will mean um, putting everybody else in your life last, which it doesn't mean. You can have both. You can choose your joy 
and you can walk towards your truth and towards your joy and you can bring your people with you. Um, so that's a wow moment. Yeah. So, so what didn't happen for me, Denise, is I didn't, if I had, um, if I had had to choose between myself and my children, if I had continued to believe that story, I probably wouldn't be, I, I would still be in, in a place where I was slowly dying inside. What I did was I changed, I changed, I changed my entire perspective and it, and it was not, it was no longer the, the, the choosing between myself and my children. It was that I choose all of us. I choose truth. I, I want for myself the same thing I want for my daughters. Right. I mean, I remember looking at my little girl and thinking I'm staying in this life that I shouldn't be in for you, right. For you. But I wouldn't even want this for you. Right? If you were a 40-year-old woman, which you will be one day, and you came to me and said, Mom, and you laid all of this in front of me, I would say, Baby, you can honor yourself and your own life and also your children. Right? You can have and both. Um, so, so, yeah, that was the moment where I decided I have learned. I am a 41-year-old woman, and I have learned from pain, and I'm done. Like For all that I can choose and what's in my control, I'm going to choose joy. For the rest of my life. That's flipping the script for you, isn't it? Because everything you ha- you did do in the past, you learned through so much pain. Yeah. 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 I mean, and that's got to be really freeing to think I can learn through, through joy. It's so freeing. Yeah. And of course there's so much in, in our lives we can't control. I mean, when, by the time this airs, this will be old news. But right now I'm sitting in Washington, D.C. because I just had to flee my home in, in Naples, Florida, because what we understood was that our, everything in our home was going to be lost from Irma. And and I got to tell you, that was kind of painful. I thought, hey, I'm choosing joy. So universe, if you could just, you know, I have enough material. If you could stop with the um, trauma, that would be great because I'm choosing joy. But the cool thing was, is that I looked around at my people, you know, we had to leave all of our stuff back there. And I had Abby here and my children here. And I thought, oh my God, since I choose joy, since I have these people here, I don't even care. If we lose all of our stuff, I don't even care. Because I get to rebuild with these people that I have chosen, you know, and that bring me more joy than anything um, I could ever imagine. And that I just feel like I'm in the right place now and that all the hard that comes is the right kind of hard instead of the wrong kind of hard. Right. And I'm just so thankful. We were talking about this before the show started. I'm so thankful that you are okay and your family's okay. And that we were just talking for our listeners about everyone who is going through, knows somebody who's living through it, all that our hearts go out to everyone that has been, that has gone through Irma and Harvey and whatever else will come between the week and a half of recording this podcast and airing it. Yeah. I I read something so beautiful yesterday about that, that like, the, the great thing about natural disasters, as terrible as they are, is that since they come through and there's nobody to blame afterwards, usually when something horrible happens, we have somebody to blame. Yes. So, yeah. so anger rises up out of it. But since natural disasters, there's nobody to blame. All that's left over is like what's real, which is um, togetherness and unity and love. So so what I've seen, you know, the, these things, these, these floods and storms are so horrible, but the beauty that comes up with people taking care of each other and, um, you know, nobody in Houston's asking each other about their politics this week. I'll tell you that. They're just holding each other's babies. Right. And I, you know? There's so much beauty that has come out of this. I agree. It's just really um, so touching to see how everyone is rallied together. And as we were talking earlier, it's that feeling of you, we can't, that helplessness feeling is, that is what is so hard as we're looking at it from afar is we can help financially, but there's not much more we can do. We can pray. We can put all of our good feelings into the universe. But for me personally, it's that feeling of you watch this on the news and it's just like so heartbreaking um, watching it. But I think what you just said, and I also think sometimes starting over allows everyone to do just that start over when, you know, it's I, whatever that means that you're able to start it with other, with, people in your lives and you're able to start a new life. And sometimes the greatest things come out 
of life when you start over. Yes. Yeah, I mean, crisis, you know, we all want to avoid crisis, but what that word means, like the root of the word crisis literally means to sift, right? So this is like a child who goes to the beach and uses one of those little plastic bowls and lifts the sand up and watches all the sand fall away, hoping that there'll be treasure left over, right? That's what crisis does. It comes into our life and we're forced to hold our lives up in front of ourselves and watch everything fall away that we thought we'd need and find out what's left over. So that's the beauty. I mean, I've had a life of crisis and I think that is why I feel so strong because I have watched it all fall apart so many times that I know that the things left over, you know, faith and love and hope, um, these are things that can never be taken from you. No matter what, no matter how much has to fall away. And I think that's what these um, crises do for cities. You know, they just, they, they, everything falls away that we thought mattered. You know, like our race, like our religion, like our politics, like our neighborhoods, like our stuff. And what's left over is what matters. And what's left over is um, love. And that's what we build up. That's what we start over with. Which, like just they said, we start building again with what we with what's left. Yes, yeah. and, and that that's where some of the beauty of it all comes. That, so that that's what we're putting into the universe the the goodness that will come out of all of this. That's right. And he's talking about um, the things that we're that we've been talking a lot about the things we're done with. But I really want to focus on some things that we are done with. And I'll start with. I'm done with walking the beach and saying, I'm going to go for this walk and I'm going to think, but all I do is think about work Mm. and I don't let my mind go free. And Glennon, when I thought about what I was thinking about today and I was thinking about being done with that, one of the things I thought about is you were that way in your relationship with Craig and sex that you would not allow your mind to be free. You talked about, you would sometimes think about what you're going to have for dinner, what you're going to make for dinner. Oh, my monkey mind. I can't even, I mean, my biggest, I feel like my best friend is my heart and my biggest enemy is my brain. I can't turn it off. I mean, to be fair, in retrospect, we might now have some more clues about why sex was so (laughs) 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 Why sex was so hard. It's so interesting to look at things in retrospect. Right. I mean, I that that problem that I had where my I mean, I think that was kind of like a, a disassociation. Right. I, I wasn't fully there. I wasn't fully present um, during sex, which I know a lot of women struggle with turning our brains So off. many women tell, say that. Right. It's like yeah. they're just there. They're present. Yeah. They, they could yeah. be having a ham sandwich. Totally. Yeah. We're just like, you know, organized, planning our outfit for the next day. Right. (laughs) I mean, I can tell you once and for all now that that's a little bit less of an issue for me now. So (laughs) it could, it could have had a lot of things to do with, um, you know, the, the beautiful spectrum of sexuality. Um, but yeah, you know, being, I guess what you're saying is you just want to be present being done with not being present. Yeah, it's um, like, you know, I want to just like think about what I'm doing in the moment and just be present, right? Exactly. But yet I, I and even, even then it's like, well, I'm not going to do work, but I'll think about work. Like I'll walk the beach and think, oh, look at that person. Is there a mentoring moment in that? It's like, oh, well, what the hell is with that? So <laughs> amazing. Okay. But uh, Denise, I'm going to say this though. There's something totally beautiful about that too. Like it's because you're doing the work that you were meant to do. Like you're, you're, you are so passionate about your work that that's exciting to you, right? Like you're, you see opportunities for, for, I think it might just be this melding of that happens to people when they're, when there's no line between, you know, their work and their passion and their mission. Um, That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's also a hard thing because it's so hard to turn it off. Right. So I, I want and I, and I agree with what you're saying and I do love what I do and I do think that plays into it, but I don't allow space in for other things. Yeah. Right. So it's not like I'm walking the beach and thinking about what I want my life to be. Right. So right. I think that's part of me not being present is I'll keep thinking, I'll keep busy with those things. Like, you know, how can I help women amplify their voices? But I don't take the time to just look at the beach and say, who is Denise? Yeah. And also who is, I think it's Ashley Judd who says, um, that sometimes we just need to be in receiving mode 
So that is so important to me as an artist that, you know, what you're talking about is this constant, you know, churning of ideas and what should I do next? And what, da, 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 da. But sometimes we have to empty, like we just have to be the universe or God or whoever, however you just wisdom, however you describe the creative force that, that infuses us with new ideas. We have to, sometimes we have to be empty to receive it. Right. So I don't know what, I mean, I guess, you know, a lot of people use meditation for that. Um, there has to be some time in the day where we're just in receiving mode. Right. Or like you were saying, taking that 10 minutes every day, yeah. it doesn't have to be, you know, four hours. It's just, and it can be four hours, but just being able to say, I'm going to just think about or not think or meditate, whatever you, I know you do yoga, mm-hmm. um, to be able to take that. I do Pilates and that allows me because to think, to not think about anything really, because Mm -hmm. I cannot think about anything. If I have to think about where my legs supposed to be at the same time, my hands supposed to be somewhere and my head supposed to be somewhere else. It's like, okay, that keeps me busy enough. Like I cannot think about one more thing. Best. It doesn't feel like when I go into yoga class, I feel like, okay, someone else is taking over my brain for me. Like just for this hour, I can stop the monkey hamster wheel in my head and I'm just turning my, it's a surrendering, right? I'm turning myself over to this person. And, and at the end, I don't know, you just feel so much more grounded and calm. Oh, I agree. And so what are you done with? (laughs) One one of the many things you're done with. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the, the most recent thing we're done with, which is kind of, I feel like dramatic, but, um, my whole family, Abby, me, Chase, just got rid of social media on our phones because, um, so now every time something comes from social, uh, out with social media from my accounts, it's something that I've created and sent to my team and they put on social media for me. I think this climate, this political climate, um, just this time in our country, everything has become so divisive. And so, um, I think there's, the internet is full of information and very little wisdom right now. And, um, it just feels like such an important time for leaders to be wise. Um, and so I realized what I was doing each day, every day is that I was, um, turning on my phone, even though I knew it was going to make me more anxious, even though I knew it was going to make me more angry, even though I knew my Twitter feeds weren't going to keep me better informed, but just better entertained. Right. Even though I knew that all of my Twitter feeds were going to do was just reinforce the, the idea that I and the, I and the people I align with are right. And that, that the people that I don't align with are stupid. Um, it just wasn't leaving a lot of creative space for me to be wise, a wise leader. Um, and so we just, and, and, you know, we tell ourselves, Oh, if I turn it off, I won't be informed, but that's not true. It takes you, you read a newspaper, right? <laughs> oh, for sure. So do you know Libby Moore? I she was not. Oprah's. Okay. So she was Oprah's chief of staff for 11 years. Okay. She left uh, five years ago when Oprah's, um, stop doing the show. So anyway, there's another person I have to introduce you to because you'll love each other. So Libby's been on the show a few times and she says that she, she gave up social media. Now I think this is great, right? Because when Libby and I first met, we didn't Google each other. This is a woman who Googled everybody working for Oprah for 11 right. years, right? Her life was about who, what, where. And so she has no social footprint at all. She's on LinkedIn and she has on Instagram, but not really. You know, she does, sometimes she posts a photo of something that's really meaningful to her. It's about photography. You know, it's about a meaning, not because she wants followers. Right. Um, and she's not on Facebook and she's not on Twitter. And now she, she's, she told me the other day, she's thinking about giving up her email account. I'm like, Okay, I want to know how that works. But every time she tells me about giving up social media, I'm so jealous. And I keep thinking, you know, why can't I? And then I think, why need it for business? So I throw that out to you. Your business depends a lot on your social media, right? Right, which is why, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me how much more time I have to actually create what goes out on social media now. My job is to create things that are beautiful, that will inspire people, that are true. Um, Social media is one way that could happen. You know what my job isn't to do, which I do all day, is sit there and see how many freaking likes I have, see who's mad at me that day, see who um, I offended or see who thinks I'm great or see who, you know, all of the things that we do that people who say they don't do are lying that is we're addicted to, right? We're addicted to the dopamine that comes into our head when we get a certain amount of reaction on the internet. So what, what not having access to those accounts does for me, I mean, I can send my content to my team. They put it on. 
Um, but I, it frees me up for another hour because I'm not looking at what every single person thinks of me. And one of the reasons why I did that is because I was watching my 14 year old son, who's beautiful and brilliant. And, um, and I, I'm watching these kids and, you know, we're the first generation of parents to raise kids in these times, um, of, of phone addiction. Uh, we don't know what the the outcomes are are going to be, except that we do know because every study has come out that said this is a problem for our teenagers. Now, I don't know what exactly the dangers of social media for kids are, but I do know because I've watched firsthand the effects of phone addictions are for kids, which is my fear is that I think that kids who would have become artists are not going to become artists. And I think that kids who would have become musicians are not going to become musicians and kids who would have become writers are not going to become writers and kids who um, could have been great athletes might not fulfill the potential because all of those things, the things we were meant to become, our curiosities are what come to us when we're bored, right? In the quiet, in the all create all creativity is born inside of is born inside of boredom, and we have a generation of kids who are, who are never bored because the second there is a moment that is quiet, they turn to their phone and they play a game or they check Snapchat or they so so the consciousness is completely there's no inward consciousness right it's like this I read recently this idea of the evacuation of interiority. There's no more interior life because all of their consciousness is outward. What's on this phone? What's on this phone? Um, so I, I actually sat – Chase and I took a walk uh, uh, when we made this decision together. And I said, Chase, I have to tell you, as a parent, I have made a lot of mistakes with you. Um, but every mistake I have made is a mistake that I didn't know was a mistake until it was already done, right? It was a retroactive mistake. It was like, damn, I shouldn't have done this. This would have been better. But in the moment, I did the best I could. When it comes to this phone thing with you, this is the only decision that I know is wrong. I know you shouldn't have that phone. I know you're addicted to it. I know that you would be more creative and more yourself if I took it from you and I'm not doing it um, because it's hard because everybody else has a phone. Um, And so this is the one thing I'm telling you right now that I will regret as a parent. I will look back and say, I have not done right by you with this one thing. And we walked for a little while and talked a little bit more. And he said, yeah, it's just that every single person has it every, and I see it. I mean, Chase's friends come to my house and they they sit next to each other and they stare at their phone. Right. I was at an airport last week and I passed, Abby and I passed this young female soccer team, right? A high school soccer team. They're all girls. Abby Wambach walks by them and none of them see her because they're all staring at their phones. And I thought, oh my God, they would have died. They would have died if even one of them was looking up, right? <laughs> right. So I, I said, Chase, I know. And like, the thing is about things that everybody is doing, you know, 30 years ago, everybody was smoking, right? Doctors were on commercials, smoking cigarettes, telling people to smoke. Later, we learned that it was killing everybody, right? So just the fact that everybody's doing something does not mean it's not killing us, right? In most generations, we find something that has been commonly accepted that later we learned was a detriment. So the cool thing is, is that by the end of that conversation, my kid was like, mom, just take it. I don't, he knows, he knew he was becoming less of himself with this constant addiction to what other people were doing on the phone. So the cool news is, is that since he'd gave it up voluntarily, that's when Abby and I both gave it up. And, and I have noticed a, a huge difference in my kid just in the last couple months. He's reading more. He's into um, things he used to be into before he was staring at that damn phone all day. Um, and it's less dramatic. All of it's less dramatic than I thought it would be. That's a great lesson for all of us. Yeah, I mean, just the idea, these things that you think you can't live without, and then you make the jump, and it's like, eh, whatever. My husband always tells me that I get this different look on my face the moment I put up my away message on my email. Mm, God, it's so freeing, right? I mean, Because I don't have to respond. It gives me the permission to say, I don't have to read an email today if I don't want to. And Denise, nobody has ever lived like this in the history of the world. Like, nobody has ever lived completely in like if we have people anybody anybody can reach out to us at any time and we are expected to respond to them 
And if we don't respond to them, we feel guilty. So we spend most of our day, and most people will tell me this, we spend most of our day feeling in debt because we owe somebody an email. We owe somebody a text back. We owe somebody this or that. And I don't think it's any way to live, right? Just because we have people have access to us doesn't mean that they should. we should constantly feel in debt. We feel like we owe the world. We feel most people are living in, um, you know, this feeling of scarcity. There's not enough time. There's not enough time. If we just cut off some of the ways people can contact us. Right. And I think by doing that, right, by my, when I put my away message up, it's like, why can't I just live that way in my own head? Why do I think that I have to respond to every email? I remember in the olden days, before email, you would take like a week before you would answer a letter at work. You would think about it. You would, you know, would sit there. You didn't have to, you didn't have that immediacy. I've got to do something with this. And there's some greatness. I mean, obviously the world's moving faster and we can move faster with it, but so much of it isn't important. And that was the other thing in my away message I put up, you know, if it's urgent, so I did this for four weeks and I said, if it's urgent, please send me another email that says urgent in the subject line. I received hundreds and hundreds of emails in those four weeks and only two of them had urgent and, and they weren't really urgent, but to that person, they were urgent and that was okay. But it wasn't like life or death. Nobody died. Nobody um, died. Right. <laughs> so you Nobody could even say those weren't urgent, but for her, they were urgent and I get it. And she's a dear friend. So that was okay. But nobody else, everything else, when you look at it, it's like, okay, this is not urgent. So I love living life that way and saying, you know, is it that important to put urgent in the subject line and meaning, meaning it? Yeah. And if not, I don't know. Maybe I don't need to respond to it all. And I, I want to talk about speaking of urgency of something that you're doing right now. And that's the together live tour. Oh, I'm so excited about together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you're touring with Jamia Wilson and Maysoon Zayed and Latham Thomas and Jennifer. So a bunch of what as we were talking about earlier, the tribe that we're all connected with. So tell us about the tour, where you're going to what's happening. Yeah, I mean, this is just, I, I my co-founder, Jennifer Rudolph Walsh, is just a sister to me, and she's also the literary agent of every big female star that has changed our consciousness and moved it forward. She's Oprah's agent, and Ariana Huffington's agent, and Brene, and on and on, and she, you know, it's one of her, it is her life's mission to kind of elevate the world by raising up women's voices, which is... Um, kind of the basis of this tour. We just wanted to get together, especially at this time in this country. I think that one of the most important things we can do is listen to women, listen to the voices of women and trust women. Um, if we trusted women, I don't think we'd be in the place we are right now politically. I think we have a deep mistrust of women. So we're going to flip the script. We're going to put on stage the fiercest, um, just the most bold and brave and honest um, women we can find and the the people we have found are completely amazing. Um, and we're going to put them on stage. These are women who are, you know, extremely fierce minded, but also so tender hearted, you know, and um, we are inviting all of the revolutionaries we can find in every city and they're going to show up. And I mean, we're going to put on the show and a half. I actually recently met the, these neighbors that I have, I live in this rich white community in Naples, Florida, and the neighborhood next to me is called Immokalee, and it's made up of poor farm migrant workers. So I went over there to meet them recently. Now they are coming on tour with us. So I love that. You badass Lupe, who's like just revolutionizing the agriculture world in her town over there. So Lupe's coming with us. Abby and I, um, Jennifer, Lovey, who's just, Lovey, oh my God, if you don't, Lovey's got to be on your podcast. She's fierce and she's like a comedic prophet. Um, and I mean, in Nashville, Sophia Bush and, um, Connie Britton and, you know, Krista Tippett is coming on. I'm so excited. She's in Minneapolis. I'm so excited for Krista because I think she's such an amazing voice for just calm and depth and wisdom. I'm so excited to meet her. Elizabeth Lesser. Oh my God. And as you said, Jamia Wilson, um, it's going to be, it's the tribe, right? It's the wolf pack. And so, um, I just want everybody to come and just have a place where we can just speak truth and also, um, figure out ways to unite and move forward in real, true, brave ways. And I love what you're doing. I love who you're doing it with. And I think between now and the 
end of October, you'll be headed off to Austin and D.C. and Nashville and Minneapolis, Chicago and Philly. And you've got a bus taking people from New York to Philly. So for everyone listening, go to, to get go to togetherlive.com for tickets and information so that you can be you can all be a part of it and you can get the you can be with Glennon. How cool is that? (laughs) (laughs) Everyone loves you. Everyone that I told that you're going to be on this show, everyone is like, that is so cool. She is so cool. So Glennon, before they're so, we could just really, I could go on with you for days. Is there anything that you want to tell our listeners? One question that I kept getting when I asked our listeners was, what would you tell your 20 year old self? Oh, that's so good. Oh my God. Uh, Denise, my 20 year old self would not believe what's happening right now in my life. Oh my gosh. Well, listen, when I was 20, I was still terribly addicted. You know, um, I didn't get sober till I was 25. So 20 was kind of the worst of it for me. Um, I think this is what I would say to my 20 year old self that the nothing about you is going to change Glennon. The sensitive, the good news though is that the sensitivity that led you to become an addict is the same sensitivity that you will eventually use to become an artist, right? And the fear and the anxiety and the fire that leads you to have a kind of a fearful life is the same, you know, fire that's going to make you a fierce advocate for women and children. Um, so... I think what I would tell her is I would say, honey, the parts of you that have made your life so hard for the first half are the exact same parts that are going to make your life really beautiful for the second half. There's a lot of truth to that for all of us, right? I mean, it's like when I look at my first half of my life and all those things, they really are the things that make us who we are. Yeah. And it's not, you know, you don't have to change. You do, you, you won't change. <laughs> People right. don't change. What you do is you figure out how to use what you've got for good, for yourself, yes. your people, for the world. You just use what you've got and you believe in yourself and that, the, you know, I just think everybody's, everybody's love story to the world starts the second she fa- actually falls in love with herself. Right. And it goes back to, so everyone, I I really mean this. You have to, if you haven't read the book, you have to read, as I said, it's out in paperback now. So now you have many options to read it. And it really is, I I really couldn't put it down, Glenn. And I kept turning the pages. It was just one of those books of, and, and your writing is just really, really great. So thank you for doing that because it made me really think deeply and I want everyone to know where we, where can we find you? So give us all of your social, where can we find you? Yeah, so I am on um, Facebook, Glennon Doyle, um, on Instagram, Glennon Doyle. My team is still on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible at Twitter, to tell you the truth. Um, so, yeah, and the book, Love Warrior, is out everywhere. Um, and Together Rising, of course, is my baby. I think that every word that I write or speak is really about Together Rising, which is the nonprofit that serves women and children all over the world. Um, right. And as you said, $7 million you've raised. Yeah. I think we're close to $8 million. And the beauty of that is that it's all in like $25 micro don- donations from people. It's just this unbelievable community and nobody, you know, we have no big donors, zero. It's just all grassroots women who, and men who just are, just really believe that we belong to each other. It's right. a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, everything you're doing is so inspiring and it shows all of us that wherever we're at in life, there's someplace else to get to, right? I mean, it's like there is someplace else. Oh man. I mean, that's hope, right? Like the one thing that life promises is that it will surprise you. Yes. Right? And you've there's- had some great, I can't wait to keep following you and stay in touch with you and see what else, because your life is just ah! filled with great surprises, <laughs> just great surprises. Never a dull moment, Denise. No. That is for sure. So thank you so much. Sending you kisses. I can't wait to meet DC. you on real life. I can't Me too. Wait. That will happen so soon. doing this. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. And Denise. have a great tour. Thank you. Bye. It's a wow, wow, wow moment of where do I even begin to go through all of the great stories and information that Glennon shared today. There are so many of them, but I'm going to share one that's just really, really hit home for me. 
And that is when she was talking about girls not voicing what they're thinking and that we have to trick our brains. And when she does the toss of the quarters to be able to say, you know, when the quarter lands, you have to say what's important to you. You have to answer the question and giving ourselves that sense of urgency. I need those little tricks in life sometimes to make me say, this is what's important to me. This is my answer. Because it's oh so easy to say, I need to think about that and never really coming up with the answer that is true to me. So I just love that and tricking my mind. I love to trick my mind. So I'm going with that one. So thank you all for joining us today and to get mentoring moments the moment it's live every Wednesday. Remember to download new episodes on the Podcast One app or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com. And make sure to rate, review, and share. And check out my show notes on Forbes.com and talk to me. You can always find me on Twitter at Denise Rastari. And until next week, keep sharing your stories because your stories matter. Download new episodes of Mentoring Moments every Wednesday at podcastone.com, forbes.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at iTunes. I'm Christina Wallace. And I'm Kate Scott Campbell. And we're the hosts of The Limit Does Not Exist, a podcast for human Venn diagrams. That's right. We talk to people with intersecting interests in the arts, STEM, entrepreneurship, and so much more. The easiest way to explain science to non-scientists is to use art. I worry that we lose a lot of creative engineers because our engineering curriculum is not creative. Education should be about empowering people to become better thinkers, good problem solvers, creative inventors, and ethical caring citizens. Download new episodes of The Limit Does Not Exist every Monday on the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com. At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing and a less than perfect one. <laughs> Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, they are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower... It does not appear to be following, following the rule of law. It is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.